This is episode 109 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we're talking about the other reason why we overeat and binge with Isabel Fuxen Duke. My name is Stephanie Dozier. I'm a clinical nutritionist. And at 35, I was trapped with severe anxiety, panic attack, obesity, and my health completely collapsed. I needed solution and my journey began. Each episode of the Beyond the Food Show, we bring you an expert or a message to help you achieve your health goal, unlock your self-confidence, and live a better life. This episode of the Beyond the Food Show is brought to you by the Beyond the Food Academy, an online platform, a school for women, and a community for women focused on teaching everything else beyond the food that impacts your ability to achieve your goals. The Beyond the Food Academy is about learning to discover the why you make the choices and how to change those choices and end food obsession. The Beyond the Food Academy is how you will move up to the next level of freedom and happiness in your life. You can register for the VIP list at stephaniedodzie.com slash academy. The next registration is scheduled for February 2018. In this episode, we're talking to Isabel Fuxen Duke about why in the heck do we keep binging and overeating, although we think we're not on a diet. And this is likely going to be one of those top five episodes of the entire podcast over the next few weeks. It's going to be among the Bruce Lipton subconscious mind and behavior episode or the Sean Croxton about how to change our thinking or Dr. Perlmutter type of episode because I am telling you, this is going to rock your world. Because when we think about why we're still overeating and still binging, although we're not on the diet, really what we need to ask ourselves is why are we choosing to still restrict the food we eat? Is it really about health or really underneath it all? Is it size? Is it the diet mentality that we over apply on intuitive eating or the concept of health at every size? Our guest Isabel Fox and Duke is going to deep dive into all of this topic and literally as I said, is going to rock your world. No joke, ladies. She is raw, just like me. She says it the way it is. And to be honest with you, I've been following Isabel for about two years personally, and she triggered me a lot. And as I teach to all the students in the Beyond the Food Academy, what we get triggered about is actually a mirror of our own personality, which we need to learn more about. So, In my pursuit of self-awareness, I knew I had something to learn from Isabel, and I was finally ready a couple weeks ago, and I pulled the trigger and asked her to be on the show. It was like a first date type of thing, and oh my God, it was a success. This episode is long. I am telling you, I've debated for the last couple of weeks, should I make it a one or two show? It's literally an hour and 15 minutes. This is how much me and her jive on this topic and are so aligned, but just different words. So 
If you are in a hurry right now, my recommendation to you is to press pause and find yourself a slot of time in your schedule where you can actually sit back and listen to the entire show in one sitting. Because it really, I couldn't cut it. Like you got to listen to it from one end to the other to get the whole significance and importance of this topic. So this is my note bene before we get started. If you want to access all the link of what we talk in the episode, you can go to stephaniedoze.com slash 109. And particularly, I would recommend that you register for Isabel's three-part video series, Stop Fighting Food. The link is in the show notes. So are you ready to do this? Let's do this. Hey, Isabel, how are you? I am good, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. So for everybody, I've been running after Isabel for a long time, and I finally have her on the show. So excited about this. And I think you guys are in for an amazing show because Isabel has some different point of view as me, but I think they're very interesting concept that I've not explored yet. So I'm very excited for her to school me on that. And at the same time for Hmm. you guys to get exposed to her point of view. So to get us started, and I said that to Isabel, I'm going to read a quote of hers when I did my research for the episode to give us a flavor of her work and what she does. So it goes like this. When we turn emotional eating into a sin, another behavior to be avoided at all costs, We fall into the same diet mentality that almost always lead to binge eating and other dysfunctional behavior with food. Yes. Yes. That is is right. Yes. So I'd be happy to chat a little bit more about what I meant by this quote and sort of rephrase it a little bit. I'm going to just share a little bit of my personal story. I think that that's the best way to sort of explain how I came to this conclusion, right? So when I was in the process of beginning my diet recovery journey, right? And trust me, I had a long history of dieting. I mean, I have been dieting since I was a very, very young girl. I was eventually hospitalized for disordered eating, hospitalized. I was in rehab for binge eating disorder, the whole gamut. I went through the whole nine yards. But at some point, right, I had kind of gotten the message, oh, hey, diets don't work, right? Mm -hmm. As many of you listening to this will have already gotten that message. And so I turned towards intuitive eating and I was attempting to pursue intuitive eating. I was attempting to listen to my hunger and fullness signals, listen to my body for direction around food. And one of the traps that I ended up falling into, right, is that I would wake up on day one right? Just like the way I used to wake up when I was you know, on Weight Watchers or Atkins, I'd be like, today is day one of the rest of my life, right? Today is day one and I'm going to stick to this thing and I'm never going to fall off the wagon. When I was pursuing intuitive eating, I found myself having a lot of the same mindset where I would wake up and I would say day one, today's day one. I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to stop exactly when I'm full and I'm going to get intuitive eating right. Hmm. And what would happen is that something would happen, right? There'd be, you know, a cupcake that would be staring at me when I wasn't hungry or some sort of, I'd be stressed or anxious or something and I'd go into the fridge or I'd go into the cupboards or for whatever reason, I would quote unquote slip, right? I would slip on this, what I now jokingly refer to as the hunger and fullness diet, 
And when I would slip, I would feel so badly about myself. I'd be like, oh, I failed. I fell off the wagon. I would think about it just the way I used to feel when I was breaking my old diets, right? I mean, and so what it was very problematic or one of the traps that I fell into when I was first pursuing intuitive eating or when I was first trying to pursue listening to my body for direction around food is that I would make rules around it right? Like I would call, you know, if I eat only when I'm hungry and I'm stop exactly when I'm full, that's a good day. And if I eat emotionally, that's a bad day, right? And so what ended up happening is whenever I perceived myself to be bad, whenever I perceived myself to have failed because I ate emotionally, what would happen? I'd be like, well, screw it. Today's already ruined. I might as well eat everything that isn't nailed down. I might as well just go hog wild and eat the whole cake. And then tomorrow will be day one again. Right. So what would what could have just been, you know, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm you know, not feeling so hot. I want like a little ice cream while I watch TV. It could have just ended there, but it didn't because I had diet mentality around it because I perceived myself to have failed miserably at being able to not eat emotionally. Right. The ice cream when I'm bored turned into a rampant binge in my cabinets where I was, you know, eating all the things that I could get my hands on saying to myself, today's going to be the last day that I eat emotionally. And then tomorrow I promise I'll never eat emotionally again. So you still had perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically, so when we say diet mentality, mm -hmm. right, it's, this is what I mean by diet mentality is there was this feeling like if I eat emotionally, I've done something bad. I've done something wrong. That's not okay. And then when I would perceive myself to have failed, right? When I would have those thoughts of this is wrong, this is bad, this is not okay. Ironically, that would often lead me to binge, right? Because immediately I'd think to myself, well, you know, today's gone. Today's gone to hell. I've already screwed up. Might as well just go hog wild, eat mm -hmm. everything that I want in quotes, right? Everything I can get my hands on, right? I might as well eat everything that isn't nailed down. You know, today's already screwed. And tomorrow, I'll get back on, you know, listening to my body. Tomorrow, I'll get back to only eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full. That's interesting. Yeah. So this is what ended up happening is that I started to treat when I was first transitioning into intuitive eating, I fell into this very common trap and clients come to me all the time telling me about this trap, right? They think this is a super common trap where they would effectively fall into instead of looking at intuitive eating like this, you know way to sort of learn about your body and be curious about your body and self-care for your body, it became a set of rules to follow, yeah. right? My old diet brain was doing the same old thing with intuitive eating that it used to do with every other diet, right? It was the hunger and fullness diet. That's what I often call it. Like as a big joke, like, Oh, like mm -hmm. don't make sure you don't get into the hunger and fullness diet, right? It's not the hunger and fullness diet. We're trying to be nice to ourselves. We're trying to be kind to ourselves. We're being curious about our experiences. It's not the don't eat emotionally diet, right? Where if you, of course, if you eat something emotionally, you failed and you've fallen yeah. off the wagon and then you end up binge eating, right? I mean, that's what in my definition of binge eating. And, you know, I have a very different definition of binge eating than emotional eating, right? So the way that I think about these two things, emotional eating is just, you know, I'm bored, I want a cupcake, right? Like I'm experiencing an uncomfortable feeling, I want a distraction, right? You know, for whatever reason, I just feel, you know, like I'm going to go eat this thing to kind of take the edge off of whatever discomfort I'm having. That's emotional eating. Binge eating is a reaction to diet mentality. It's a reaction to dieting. It's I feel so angry with myself and I'm so upset that I failed 
that I ate emotionally and I shouldn't have done that. And now you're just going to gain weight and no one's going to love you. And you know, oh, you screwed it up. So you might as well just eat everything that isn't nailed down. And then tomorrow starts day one. That's typical diet. Right. Right. So it's like, if we actually created some permission for emotional eating to exist, Mm -hmm. because guess what? Sometimes it's going to exist. I don't know anyone who just gives up emotional eating cold turkey on day one, right? Historically, we've always been emotional eater. Right, right. Like when you look at the evolution of the human being, we've ate emotionally, socially. Yes. So we can't cut it off. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Cutting out emotional eating is not realistic for anyone. And when people try, all that ends up happening is they end up getting on the wagon and falling off the wagon and on the wagon and off the wagon. Effectively, yo-yo dieting, Mm -hmm. just like they used to with the old traditional diets. So at the end of it all, it's the diet mentality we need to get to. Is that what? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think intuitive eating, right? The idea of you know eating when you're hungry, listening to your hunger signals. What does your body want to eat? What signals is your body giving you about the food that it needs, that only solves half the problem, right? The other half the problem is how we're thinking, Hmm. right? Is how we're talking to ourselves. Are we living in diet mentality? Are we approaching food like it's we're on and off the wagon? Are we approaching food like food is this like thing that we need to be careful around because God forbid I eat the wrong thing, you know, all hell might break loose right? Arguably more than half the problem, in my opinion, is really comes down to the way you're thinking, not necessarily just what, you know, how you're choosing to eat, meaning intuitive eating Mm -hmm. versus dieting, right? Intuitive eating, the physical side of listening to your hunger and fullness is one half of the problem. But that emotional side, your emotional relationship with food, and I don't mean just emotional eating, I mean, like your diet mentality, right? Like, are you looking at food like, oh, gosh, if I do the wrong thing, I failed and I suck and I might as well eat everything that isn't nailed down and tomorrow I'll start again, right? That is, I think, the primary reason why people continue to struggle with binge eating after they've quote unquote, you know, transitioned into intuitive eating is that they're transitioning into intuitive eating, but they're actually, what they're really doing is that they're struggling with the hunger and fullness diet or the don't eat emotionally diet, right? They haven't addressed the diet mentality. They haven't addressed this sort of diet-like thinking that in many ways creates these yo-yo ups and downs, just like, you know, Weight Watchers or Atkins or anything else. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting because we don't talk about that enough, but the diet mentality goes more than just a relationship with food is the way we approach life in general. Yes. Is that what you observed as well? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, I don't agree with everything that Janine Roth says. If you're familiar with Janine yeah. Roth, I, I have, there are many things I disagree with her about, but I really do like her one quote where she says, how we do one thing is how we do everything, mm-hmm. right? How we do one thing is how we do everything, right? If I'm looking at food, like, okay, getting food right and getting my body right and making sure that I'm thin enough is like the path to happiness. And my happiness depends on what my food looks like that day right? If that's how I'm operating, I'm probably operating like that in a lot of ways, right? My happiness probably is really dependent on like my external circumstances being in control and looking the way that I think that they should. And that's a huge, huge problem, not just with food and body. It's definitely a problem with food and body. I think it's the root source and root cause of most dysfunctional eating, including binge eating. But it's also just a 
greater spiritual problem in our whole lives, right? Like if yes. my happiness depended on me, you know, my work life looking a certain way or, you know, any of my material circumstances looking a certain way, if my happiness depended on life going my way effectively, I'd be miserable half the time. And I think, in my opinion, it's that we look at our happiness through a solution that's external to us instead of looking at finding happiness joy, fulfillment from inside. And in the same way we relate to diet, we think that controlling our external environment, aka our food, will lead us to happiness instead of looking from the inside. Exactly, exactly. If you're looking, if you think you're going to get happiness from eating a certain way, mm -hmm. not only are you not going to find it there, but you're probably going to fail at it to begin with, right? It's almost like God's going to laugh at you and be like, ha ha, you think that you can control your happiness by controlling your food? I'm going to go make you binge eat right now. And that perfection that we have with regards to our food, because for me, that was big. Like in the way that I tried to control my food, I tried to control everything else in my life in the same manner. Yes, absolutely. Because bottom line, I didn't trust myself. Right, right. So I needed a set of rules for everything mm -hmm. around me. So right. correct me if I'm right, from your perspective, when we see perfection in our food, we also apply perfection to probably many other facets right. of our life. Right. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, recovery from food issues is not about getting your food right or making yes. your food look a certain way. Recovery from disordered eating or dysfunctional eating or any version of that Recovery from dysfunctional eating is about being able to roll with the punches. It's being able to be flexible. It's about being able to live in what is going to be messy, right? A little bit, right? I mean, it's about being able to ride the waves, as, you know, Howard Zinn says. Yes. You know, it's about being able to, like, adapt and respond to the fact that, you know, some days you might have a cupcake when you're bored and that's okay. It doesn't mean you've failed and you don't have to fall off the wagon. You know, if it happens, roll with it. Okay. Maybe I have, you know, I can respond to that. Maybe if I get a little blood sugar hit, maybe I have a little extra protein with dinner, right? You're being able to be flexible, being able to live in the chaos rather than in these perfectionistic, when I have perfectionist ex expectations, I think perfectionist expectations absolutely lead to rebellion right? They lead to, in the case with food, right? Perfectionistic expectations with food will lead to binge eating binge. almost every time. In life, right? Perfectionistic expectations at work will lead to burnout, will lead mm -hmm. to I can't get out of bed, right? It's the same thing. It's we can't uphold those expectations. We can't keep it up all the time, right? And so what ends up is we crash and we crash in proportion to how rigid we were trying to hold on, Interesting. right? So one of the metaphors that I often give is you think about like, if I'm pulling a bow and arrow back, you know, I'm pulling so tight on that bow and arrow, pull, pull, pull. There's so much tension in that string, right? There's so much tension in that bow. It's just pull, 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 pull. It is inevitable. I can pull for, you know, however long, mm -hmm. but at some point the bow is going to fly in the other direction and the bow is probably going to fly in the other direction in proportion to how tightly I was pulling it. How much tension you applied to the bow. 
Exactly, exactly. The farther back I pull that bow, the farther it's going to fly in the other direction. And there's, you know, food is just such a perfect example of that. I mean, we binge in proportion to how tightly and rigidly we were trying to restrict. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is widely evidenced. I mean, there is tons of research around this, right? This is what all of the body positive activists out there you know, are talking about when we talk about things like health at every size for anyone who's familiar with that term, right? You know, one of the things that we're really seeing in the research around quote unquote weight management or quote unquote weight control, right? Is that restriction, right? The more tightly I pull that bow back, the more tension in my body, I try to get it right with food and make my body fit, make my round, you know, my square peg of a body fit into a round hole. The more I sort of elbow grease, try to do it, the more tension, the more energy I try to make it go my way, the farther the bow is going to fly in the other direction, the bigger the binge on the other side is going to be. You totally get this. Is there, because a lot of our audience are 40 plus women, mm-hmm. is there any data on the length of time your diet and the relationship to how intense your binge eating is? That's an interesting question. So there's no, not that I'm aware of, there's no relationship between, well, it depends on the person, right? Like you could argue, right? The more intensely you are, I think it's sort of you know, commonsensical based on this information, the more aggressively you're restricting, the less you'll be able to hang on to it, right? Like if I'm eating starvation levels of food, I'm not going to be able to stick to it as long. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, absolutely just that sort of commonsensical. But what I think is really interesting, what we do have data on, and this is something that Linda Bacon, who wrote Health at Every Size, also talks about, is that the more you attempt dieting, the less you're able to stick to one. Right. It's not a perfect linear line, but over time, the trend mm-hmm. is that the longer you diet, the less likely you are to stick to one. Right. So I was dieting my whole, you know, the first 20 years of my life. Right. I mean, more than 25, whatever it was. And I remember when I was younger, when I was like in high school or whatever, I could, you know, I could stick to a diet for a few months, right? I could like whittle myself down, you know, I could do it temporarily. I would binge, I would yo-yo, I would gain the weight back, the weight always came back. But those time periods, you know, I could go some time. Mm -hmm. By the time I was in treatment for binge eating disorder, I couldn't go a day. I could not go one day restricting without falling knee deep into the brownie batter by the end of the afternoon. So I have a question for you, because this is a question I've asked to many of my guests and nobody's been able to give me an answer. Try me. Binge versus binge eating disorder, because a lot of the people listening here have never been diagnosed with an eating disorder. That's not the background, though they now recognize that they binge, but they're afraid of the word binge eating disorder. What's the difference And how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, a binge, right? Like anyone who goes on a diet could end up binging, right? Like a binge is just a reaction to deprivation. But not everyone who goes on a diet will end up having an eating disorder. Okay. Right? So, you know, if you are, think about the casual dieter where it's like, you know, maybe they diet for like a few weeks or a few months or whatever. And then, you know, they might end up, they fall off the wagon, right? Most people fall off the wagon. Most people will end up binging, right? They'll end up rebelling. They'll end up going the other way, you know, and that's pretty natural. I mean, that is actually quite healthy, right? Like restriction isn't super great for you. Mm -hmm. Binge eating is your body's way of coming back from a period of restriction, but not, you know, that person can stop, right? That person can be like, 
oh, well, this doesn't work. I'm going to chill out on dieting and it's no big deal. Okay. Right. Like they're just a casual dieter. They don't have an eating disorder. They're just, oh, you know, that didn't work. I ended up binging. Oh, well, you know, or I lost weight for my wedding and then I ended up binging mm. and then it's done. Right. Like it's not, they're not compulsed to keep restricting. They're not compulsed to keep. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're an eating disorder, right? And again, I'm, you know, I'm not diagnosing anyone necessarily, you know, I yeah. think that diagnosis of eating disorders always should be come back to between you and your psychiatrist, your therapist, you know, a mental health professional. But, you know, when you think about an eating disorder, the difference between a binge eating and binge eating disorder is this difference between dieting and eating disorder, dieting and restrictive eating disorder, right? So a binge eating disorder is basically somebody who has a restrictive eating disorder who also binges in response to their restriction. Interesting. Yeah. So it is a uncontrollable situation. You are, again, it's the difference between a binge, somebody who yeah. binges and somebody who has binge eating disorder is the difference between somebody who diets and somebody who has a restrictive eating disorder, right? Like it has to do with how trapped you are mentally in the cycle, right? Like if I tell somebody with an eating disorder, Hey, FYI, diets don't work. Just stop doing them. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They feel compulsed. They need, there's a compulsion, right? There's this feeling of like, no, 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 but I need to control my weight. I need to mm -hmm. keep going. I need, right? It's beyond rationality, right? It's full blown. Now we're in, it's, it's a way that we're, they're managing their emotions, right? And they need treatment to actually let go of restriction, mm -hmm. right? Binge eating disorder is just an eating disorder where the person also happens to be binging. It's just one form of it. Right. When people say binge eating disorder, what they're really saying is somebody has a restrictive eating disorder, but they're maybe not super thin because they also binge as one of the symptoms mm -hmm. of their eating disorder, right? Binging is one of the symptoms. So for example, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example, when I was at the height of my feeling totally crazy and obsessed with food, I mean, I was eating disorder, right? Like I was obsessed with food. I was thinking about food all the time. I was just obsessed with how am I going to lose this weight? How am I going to lose this weight? How much am I, how am I going to lose this weight? It took up all of my time. It took up all of my time. It, it was really just incredibly painful. It wasn't like I was just a casual dieter who was yeah. just like, Oh, going on a diet and then I'm done. Like this was years of me just feeling obsessed. Like I couldn't leave my apartment if I felt fat. It was so painful. Like I just felt terrible about myself all the time. My self-esteem was a hundred percent dictated by what I weighed and what I ate that day. That is not, that is eating disordered, right? I mean, that is not mental health, mm -hmm. right? But I also was binging. I was never super thin. I was always, binging was always one of the symptoms in my you know, range of things that were going on with food. Binge eating is never the only thing that's going on. Binge eating and restriction go hand in hand. I don't know anyone who binges who isn't also struggling with diet mentality. They go together like milk and cookies. You have been one of the clearer explanation that I've heard so far. Good. So thank you very much for that because yeah. many, many people refuse to accept binging because they don't want to tag themselves as an eating disorder where I have been saying you can binge without having an eating disorder because of the restriction you're applying to your diet.
Exactly. That's exactly right. Now, what I will say also as a caveat to this conversation, because yeah. I think it's rel- relevant, you know, the difference between diet binge cycling and binge eating disorder, if you will, where you're like restricting to really unhealthy amounts and you feel compulsed by it and whatever, right? You know, to some extent is a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? It's not black and white. Like I know a lot of people who wouldn't feel comfortable with the term binge eating disorder, but they're pretty miserable in their diet binge cycling. Yeah. Right. Like they do to some to some extent feel compulsed by dieting. They do to some extent feel compulsed by the pursuit of weight loss. Their self-esteem does feel dependent to some extent on what they ate that day or what their body looks like. Right. So, you know, the other thing to also just be aware of is that this is a spectrum. It's not just you either have an eating disorder or you're totally fine. Most women, and I work mainly with women, so I'm going to speak with women and, you know, just if you're gender not conforming or other area of the gender spectrum, this likely applies to you. But I always, I typically use the pronoun women because that's how most of my clients identify. You know, the difference between a woman who is, you know, goes on a diet and then binges and then goes on a diet and binges and who's sort of living that life and somebody who's binge eating disordered, right, is it's really like you could be anywhere on that spectrum, right? Like you could be in the middle. There's 55 Shades of Great, I think is the name of the book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Most of my clients are in the middle. Most of my clients do not have a binge eating disorder diagnosis. Most of my clients are just, you know, trying to lose weight, falling off the wagon, feeling awful about themselves, hating their body, right? Like they're engaging in all these behaviors, but they wouldn't necessarily get a diagnosis you know, from a clinical professional, like they're not quote unquote that far gone, if you will, in quotes, Mm -hmm. which I also hate to say, right? Because, you know, I think it's so flawed the way we diagnose this stuff. And, and truthfully, you know, it really is just a matter of spectrum, right? I mean, it's amazing. I think one of the problems with the culture in which we live is that, you know, diet binging or just dieting period and engaging in restrictive behaviors is totally culturally acceptable until you go too far and then you got to go to rehab, right? I mean, it's it's kind of silly the way that we've sort of categorized it in this binary, like you're either have an eating disorder or you don't. Most women feel the pressure to be thin. Most women have gone on diets despite the fact that they're proven to be not healthy, not good for you and don't work and have a long list of side effects, right? And it's just, you know, the difference between someone who gets a diagnosis and the person who just sort of looks at themselves in the mirror and is unhappy with what they see and then tries to restrict their food to fix it. The difference between those two people is, is by and large a spectrum, right? It's not like, you know, absolute binaries. But I think it's a reflection of just how we approach, I'm from a medical background, how we approach disease, right? It's labeling. We either have it or we don't. Right, which is problematic, right? Well, when we deal with beyond the physical condition, we deal with the emotional body, it's a spectrum of things. But that's our left brain and right brain thinking, right? Right. We want to know if we have it. So we can get the pill for it. Right. I've been very outspoken. You know, I, there were a series of years in my career where I refused to use the word eating disorder at all Mm -hmm. because I, I wasn't convinced that the labeling was appropriate. That being said, I think one of the reasons why I've sort of softened on that and I've started to use the label more is because one thing that labels and diagnosis is useful for is helping people get out of denial. Yes. 
right? So if you've ever heard of non-diagnostic therapy, I'm a big, big advocate. I'm a big fan of non-diagnostic therapy. So this is basically a branch of mental health professionals who are like, we're not going to just try and take our person, you know, our clients and try and stick them into boxes Mm -hmm. and diagnose them with this kind of mental health disease or they're bipolar or they're this or they're that. We're going to look at them as holistic, individual, unique human beings who are struggling in whatever way they're struggling with. And we're going to walk them through how to deal with their unique set of symptoms, the way that their unique expression of you know mental illness is sort of coming up for them. We're not going to try and squeeze them into boxes and then you know prescribe them some you know, set of treatment that might not be exactly right for them because most mental health issues aren't just so straightforward that you can just fit it into a box, right? Most people are experiencing different stuff and different, you know, different expressions of illness, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm a big fan of non-diagnostic therapy because it really forces therapists and professionals to look at people holistically, to look at people as unique individuals rather than just like check a checkbox and then give them a pill or whatever. But I will say one of the things that is helpful about diagnosis is that diagnosis can be incredibly validating um, for people who don't know what's wrong and don't understand why they're unhappy and like are, you know, think it's their fault, right? I think diagnosis can be really validating. And diagnosis also, again, I'll repeat, you know, can be really helpful, especially in the label of eating disorder, can be really, really helpful in helping people overcome denial if that's something that they've struggled with in the past. Yeah, and it's it's very similar to functional medicine. I'm sure you've heard of that, right? We don't try to put a label. We try to find right. the root cause and help people evolve. And for some people, where they are in their journey, they need that label. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. 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 So, you know, that's, you know, all a very good point. But I hope that that answers your question. Yes. About, yeah. So which leads me into the next level of question, because most of the people here come from a place where they had some kind of health crisis and most of them come here because they've either been paleo, keto, not a lot of vegan, but mostly paleo, keto, because they were directed to that from a health-based perspective. So they were given a restriction eating as a mean of healing their condition. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, which is a, like, I believe there is some validity to that in my perspective, it also yep. trigger restriction and binge eating. So they try really hard to heal PCOS, for an example, with a lower carbohydrate diet, which gives them great result, but at the same time, they binge. Yeah. So this is really common. This is the number one most common problem that I end up talking about okay. with clients and that clients come come to me with. So there's a few things. So one of the other things that Linda Bacon, who wrote Health at Every Size, one of the other things that she sort of discovered through decades of research, right, was that people were much more likely to maintain or sustain health behaviors if weight loss was not a goal, but just actually the pursuit of health was a goal, right? Like if when we sort of make it about weight, we're much more likely to fall into that on and off the wagon. Oh gosh, I failed. I suck. I might as well, you know, just say screw it and eat everything. And, and, you know, tomorrow's day one. Whereas if it's actually about just 
feeling better, people were much, much more likely to sustain and maintain those behaviors. Now, this isn't perfect. There's a caveat that I'm going to get to in a second. But overall, one of the first things that I notice that often leads people to binge when they're pursuing you know, a specific kind of, quote, restrictive diet for health purposes is that they are commingling their desire for weight loss with their health. So it's almost like these two things become inextricably linked. They cannot separate, they haven't separated their health goals from weight, right? So person who goes on a, you know, a low glycemic diet, for instance, for PCOS, right? In their mind, most of them also, the ones who are binge eating, most of them also have this little thing in the back of their mind that's like, and this will make me thin. Mm -hmm. And that is a sabotaging thought. That is a self-sabotaging thought. There is tons of research to suggest you are much more likely to sustain and maintain healthful behaviors if you pursue them from a weight-neutral perspective. It completely changes the way your brain operates around health, right? The way you're like looking at food will actually, you'll have a much different relationship with food if you look at food as something that's just about health rather than about weight. And so there's tons of research about why this exists. This is sort of the main point, the key takeaway from the book Health at Every Size, which is a huge, famous, big bestseller, right, is that people have a much better chance of sticking to quote unquote health behaviors if they're pursuing health behaviors in a weight neutral way. So I'll give you another example. One of the things that Linda Bacon discovered, right? She was like working with clients who had diabetes, right? And I, I might be butchering this example. I, you know, I hope I'm not misquoting her, you know, but this is my understanding. So I take full responsibility for this, but you know, she's working with people with diabetes, for instance, people who try to lose weight to manage their diabetes typically fall off the wagon and gain the weight back, right? Just like any yep. other dieter, right? Just, just because you have diabetes doesn't mean you can stick to a diet any better than anybody else, right? Most people who try to lose weight when they have diabetes still end up doing this yo-yo dieting thing up and down, up and down, up and down, and probably end up making their diabetes or whatever other conditions they're dealing with worse in the process. However, People have a much, much better chance at creating long-term health outcomes for themselves if instead of focusing on weight loss, they focus on blood sugar management directly. Weight-neutral blood sugar management, right? Totally different mindset, totally different and, and very different as far as biology and physiology too, right? If, I have, if I'm diabetic and I'm focusing on trying to lose weight for my diabetes, trying to lose weight, despite the fact that we have no evidence that there's a diet out there that exists that I'm going to be able to do better than anyone else, which is probably not that well, right? Uh, that's a bad, those are bad odds, right? Going on a diet to try to heal my diabetes, not great odds, right? 95% mm -hmm. chance of failure. But if I actually just think about a diabetes, like, okay, I'm going to take weight off the table and I'm just going to try and do what I can to manage my blood sugar, right? So if I do eat something sweet, I'm going to try and eat protein or cheese with it to help balance my blood sugar, right? If I do have something, if I do have carbohydrates, I want to make sure I eat it with fiber, with mm -hmm. protein, with things that will help slow down the absorption of sugar into my blood. Those people, far superior health outcomes, right? Far superior health outcomes. When we pursue health directly rather than pursue weight loss as a proxy for health, far superior health outcomes, more mental health, less likely to yo-yo, less likely for binge eating, all those things become so much dramatically less likely once we take weight off the table and just start pursuing health for health's sake. Now you got me so wind up on this because <laughs> in a good way, because we assume, for anybody listening to this, that weight is the causal effect. 
right. of diabetes and PCOS or whatever, because that's what we're being told by the medical world, where in fact, weight is a consequence of other situations that are going on in your body because of the poor right. quality food, not because of the quantity of food that we're eating. Right, right, right. Like most people think that diabetes is caused by fatness, but it's no. probably much more likely that, you know, fatness might be a symptom of like overproduction of insulin. That's much more likely the scenario, right? Di yeah. Weight gain is a symptom of diabetes, much more likely than it is yes. the cause. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Yeah. So that's number one. That's number one is people when they're trying to pursue and so many clients struggle with this, right? Because they yes. feel compulsed. They feel compulsed to pursue weight loss, right? I mean, it's hard for women who are, you know, whose self-esteem, you know, not having anything to do with health. So many people just their self-esteem, their feeling of like, oh my gosh, my ability to be happy and loved in this world, you know, in their mind somehow depends on their size. I feel like we get these messages from society all the time. You know, even if I said, hey, you know, take weight loss off the table, just focus on health for health's sake and don't think about the weight. That's really hard for people to do because of all the social pressures to be thin. And so it's actually much easier said than done to take weight loss off the table and just pursue health for health's sake, despite the fact that you're much, much more likely to stick to those health behaviors if weight's not your motivating factor. So, which is why we do body image work, which kind of <laughs> goes into the next topic. <laughs> right, 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 right. So to close back the other issue before we get into body image, because that's a whole other topic of discussion, but yep, women have to be honest with themselves because yeah. I know I was there at some point and I know there's a lot of the people listening right now, the ladies listening that pretend that it is about health where in fact, when we're alone with ourselves, we know that it is about weight, but we try to hide it with the health perspective at the top. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's like, when I'm working with my clients, that's the first thing we talk about. You know, if they're pursuing health behaviors and then binging their faces off, I say, okay, uh -uh. you get honest with me right now. How much of this is about health and how much of this is about size, right? And indefinitely, right, they'll be like, oh, 50-50 right? That they commingle the two. It's like they can't separate the two. They have so much trouble separating the two. Why? Because most women are really emotionally attached to the outcome of thinness, irrespective of health, right? Most people want to be thin, mm -hmm. not just because they think it's going to make them healthy. People want to be thin because they think it's going to make them happy and well-loved and give them status in the world and all these things, right? And this is what's so, so problematic about our medical system right now and just sort of the way we're treating quote unquote weight related diseases is that we're totally ignoring the fact that, you know, people are pursuing diets for weight loss, even when they're very unhealthy for them, because they feel social pressure to be thin that has nothing to do with health, right? And it's like healthism to your point, I think this is a really great point, And I'm glad you brought it up. So many people, you know, kind of paint their weight loss goals as, oh, I'm just trying to be healthy. Meanwhile, it's like you're dieting and binging. You're not, you're not doing anything healthy for yourself, right? Like, come on, like you're not doing any, you're, this is not healthy at all. I'm just trying to be healthy, right? But really, you know, probably when they're being really honest with themselves, a good portion of that motivation is I want to be thin because I want to look a certain way and I want to get respect in society or whatever else, you know, whatever other motivations a person might have. And this is where, why it becomes so, so important to really look at 
you know, what's driving your behaviors, you know, like how much of this is a body image problem in disguise? Cause you're going to have so much better health outcomes. If you're pursuing health in a weight neutral way, there's tons of evidence for that. But if you can't let go of like dieting for weight loss, right. If you can't let go of the body image reasons why you keep behaving this way, right. Why you can't like let go of trying to restrict your food and are like, Oh, it's a good day. Maybe I'm a little thinner today. Maybe I will go to the Christmas party because I lost five pounds, right? Like if that mm. mindset doesn't change, it's very, very, very hard to change your relationship with food. And let's go to the body image thing now. And how much of the issue that we're having, and, and so I want to profess something. There's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight in my perspective. The question for me is which intention are you putting behind it? Are you doing it from a place of hate and hatred towards yourself or are you doing it from a place of love? What is your point of view on that? Well, I'm not sure. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I'm just not sure it's in alignment with the science. Okay. Because, you know, you can want to pursue, well, I mean, here's the thing. You can want to pursue weight loss for whatever reason, but the bottom line is, is like, we don't know of a diet that makes people thinner. There's, weight loss is never a guarantee, mm -hmm. no matter what you do, right? I mean, body diversity exists. People come in all different shapes and sizes, right? I would never guarantee weight loss as a result for one of my clients because that's just not in alignment with, with the science, right? Like there is no guaranteed method of weight loss that's permanent. There's tons of ways you can lose weight temporarily. There's tons of diets you can go on to like squeeze into your wedding dress and then you'll just gain it back. But there's no like permanent weight loss solution that is guaranteeable for any particular person because you have no idea what this person's natural body size is. You have no idea what this person's genetic profile is. You have no idea, right? Like there's just so many factors that don't necessarily have to do with illness, right? The reality of the situation is people come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have nearly, you know, as much control over our weight as we think. You know, we're told by our medical system, by the way, right? That anyone who's over BMI 29 oh. is unhealthy. Yeah, now, no. come on. No, Seriously? No, no. Seriously? Right? I mean, right? And so, you know, I think that this sort of, and people who are over BMI 29 are being told by their doctors, good for you for pursuing weight loss. Yeah. Meanwhile, that might be a very unhealthy goal for somebody who's actually just comfortably BMI 33. And that's where their body really naturally wants to be. Mm -hmm. That is when we judge health of weight based on the medical criteria, which is totally wrong. Yeah. But like when a new client comes to you and is like, I want to lose weight, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be like, yes, we can make you thin necessarily because you don't know what their natural no. body size is. You don't know where their body wants to be, right? Like I can't guarantee somebody weight loss because I have no idea what their natural, for all I know, they're already their natural size. And it just so happens that that natural size is bigger than society tells them it should be. And, and there's no way to healthfully make them thinner than that. That's what we call set point. Yes, exactly. Bingo, bingo, right? So this is called your natural set point weight. The med our current medical system operates under the assumption that everyone should be between BMI, you know, 22 and 29 or whatever the case may be. But the reality is realistically, when you look at the science, there are a ton of people out there who are actually probably would be very unhealthy at BMI 29 or lower mm -hmm. because their natural body type, their natural healthful set point body type actually desires to be a little bit bigger. 
right? And so if that person, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, I want to lose weight, I can't guarantee that because what I say is I can help you get healthy, but I don't know what weight you're going to end up at when you are healthy. I just know that whatever weight you end up at when you're healthy is the weight that's healthy for you. The weight that's going to make you healthy. Well, the weight that is healthy for you. You know, my perspective is like weights don't make us healthy. We pursue health. If I pursue health, if I am doing healthful behaviors, if I'm taking care of myself, if I'm eating vegetables, if I'm, you know, addressing my, my body and, and doing what I need to do to take care of myself, when I'm taking care of myself, I'm going to be the size that is healthful for my body. That's what I meant. That was a question of word, but I'll give myself as an example, I'm overweight but I'm healthier than 90% of the people out there. I just went to give blood today and the lady was in shock of how my blood pressure was. And then I'm like, yeah, because it has nothing to do with weight. Weight is not the causal effect of health. It's just a byproduct. Right. Right. And some people are naturally actually healthy, right? Like some people's natural healthy weight, meaning like when they are healthy, when they're eating their vegetables, when they're moving their body on a regular basis, when they're taking care of themselves, giving their bodies what their bodies need, they naturally fall at a weight that might not fall between BMI 22 and 29, right? And that is, you know, when if a client comes to me and is like, oh, hey, like, you know, I'm overweight and I need to lose weight. You know, I don't actually know if that's true. They're just saying what they think is true based on our society. Yes. Um, very, very, un- not only unrealistic, but very dangerous and very screwed up expectations of people and especially women's bodies. Right. So I'm not going to, you know, for me, I have sort of like a personal guideline in my business. You know, I'm not going to continue to promote that by being like, oh, yeah, I can make you lose weight. I can help you to get thin. I don't know if you're going to get thin, but I can what I can tell you is you're going to be healthy. I mean, mentally, physically healthy. You're going to actually learn how to take care of yourself in a sustainable way. Wherever your body ends up when you're doing that is where your body is supposed to be. And this desire for weight loss beyond health is what we call the body image issue, right? Exactly. One of the quotes you have read somewhere in doing the research is 99% of food issue boils down to body image issue. Exactly. 100%, 99%. I mean, I think that orthorexia is a real problem, right? So like compulsive anxiety around making healthful choices is a legitimate issue. It's on the rise for sure. But historically, and I think to this day, the majority of dysfunctional eating, the diet binge cycling, the majority of, you know, disordered eating certainly, you know, starts with, I don't think my body's good enough. And I feel like I should try and change it by restricting my food. Mm Mm-hmm. It starts with a body image problem, right? If you're, if you never had the thought, I wish I was thinner, you would never have gone on a diet. You would never really deal with this binge eating, emotional eating problem, really. And the other thing that's interesting about emotional eating is emotional eating is heavily correlated with dieting, right? The more you restrict, the more you're going to turn to food for comfort. That's something that's also in health at every size that Linda Bacon found, which was fascinating, right? So it's like, if we never had this thought that we thought to ourselves, gosh, you know, I wish my thighs were thinner. Maybe I'll, you know, have a smaller breakfast tomorrow. If that never occurred to us, we never had the thought, man, I wish I were thinner. None of this food problem would really exist, right? I mean, people would still have health problems and they'd address them and it'd be a hell of a lot easier to address them because they wouldn't have all this emotional stuff going on around it. But the problem of diet binge cycling and largely a lot of emotional eating as well wouldn't probably wouldn't exist. 
Yeah, because when you have, like, I'm big in the concept that your thoughts create your emotion and your emotion creates your reaction. When you have the thought that you're not good enough because of the way your body looks, you create an emotion, which for many of us will create the reaction of eating or binge eating. Yes. And, and emotional eating, I think there's a, I think that's one very good explanation of how dieting or how poor body image can lead to emotional eating. But I think that there's also a fair amount of evidence that, you know, food restriction and dieting in and of itself can create, can make food, right? If food is something that is limited to me, right? Like if food is something that is a scarce resource, probably I'm going to value it very highly. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm going to value it very highly. I'm going to be, you know, kind of be very obsessive about food. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to want to share my food. That was one thing that came up for me when I was dieting. I hated sharing. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, no, this is mine. You know, when I was dieting, when I was restricting my food, food became that much more valuable, became that much more important. Right. This is where the term love hate relationship with food comes from, right? It's this feeling of like, I don't want to eat, but it's like the more I try not to eat, the more I want to eat, the more valuable food is, the more seductive, the more tantalizing food becomes to me. Well, you may have heard the feast and famine principle and evolutionary of human being, right? We feasted and fasted. That's how the brain is wired. Right, right. Totally, totally. Right. So if I'm in a period of restriction, if I'm in a period of eating less for whatever reason, you know, slowly but surely my desire for food is going to increase. Food's going to be tantalizing to me, seductive, it's going to hold more value. Food holds more value for a starving person, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, just from a basic, you know, basic theoretical here, a starving person values food much more than a person who's, you know, got food all around them all the time. Yes. Right. So the more we restrict, the more valuable food becomes, the more interesting food becomes, the more seductive and tantalizing food becomes. This is why, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm a sugar addict. But really, I was restricting sugar so heavily. I was berating myself and hating myself every time I would eat sugar. I, you know, sugar was the thing that I was never allowed to eat. And so, you know, and having nothing to do with health, right? Like this was just like a full on mm-hmm. diet culture, diet mentality. I would end up, you know, I became obsessed with sugar. And every time I would have a bite, I would binge, right? And so it's like food is so much more interesting. It holds so much more power over people who are restricted or who are restricting their food. And so this is also another theory of why poor body image leads to emotional eating, right? Poor body image leads to dieting. But dieting is correlated with emotional eating for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, people who diet are just more likely to value food, right? Food is more important. It becomes this like thing that I love so much that's so seductive and tantalizing, right? It becomes this super powerful thing when you're constantly trying to restrict it because you hate your body. Would it be the same thing for those that are addicted or the same way of thinking for those that are addicted to exercise or alcohol or drug? No, no. because yeah, no, it's a really good question. I mean, I can't speak. I, I try not to speak too much on alcohol and drugs or make direct comparisons about how these two things interact because I think that there's a lot of controversy around, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about how we should be treating drug addiction, right? I mean, people think, oh, the answer to drug addiction is to stop doing the drug or alcohol. For some people, that's unrealistic, right? And for some people, that might not be the treatment. I mean, that's a whole controversial topic that really is not my area of expertise. And I really should not be speaking about that because that's not my, it's not my area, right? But I'll just say that that's, you know, I know that that's a controversy that's happening and that's something that people are talking about. But when people compare food and drugs and alcohol, 
what is problematic about that is I'll say typically, traditionally, right? Most people think of the proper treatment model for drug or alcohol addiction as abstinence, right? Is the removal of that thing from my life, which again, you know, yeah. maybe the kid, who knows, but that's the typical, most common treatment model, right? I don't have an opinion about it, but that's the typical, most common treatment, treatment model. The problem is that most people, when they feel compulsed to eat sugar, right? Because they've been dieting, right? And most people, the problem is they think that they're supposed to be able to diet. So when they feel compulsed to eat sugar because they've been dieting or when they feel, you know, binge eat because they've been dieting, they don't think dieting's the problem. They think, well, I'm supposed to be able to lose weight. I'm supposed to be able to get thin. I'm supposed to be able to restrict my food. I must be an addict. I must be addicted to this food. And that's why I'm binging. Despite the fact that actually it's the attempt at abstinence and it's the attempt at restriction that's probably creating that binge, right? So, you know, in the case of drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol are inherently physically addictive for sure. You know, the desire, and, and again, I won't, don't want to speak too much about drugs and alcohol because it is definitely mm -hmm. outside of my scope. But, you know, by and large, when people compare the experiences of feeling out of control around something, they compare food and alcohol without considering the reason people feel out of control around food, which is probably not just food in a vacuum. It's probably they feel out of control around food because they've been restricting. So to apply the abstinence model to quote unquote food addiction probably is not going to work long term. It's probably just going to create more periods of abstinence followed by binging, periods of abstinence followed by binging, right? They're just keeping the cycle going because they're applying a treatment that probably was the cause of the problem with food to begin with. And that is not the case with drugs and alcohol. Again, I don't have an opinion about what the you know best way to treat drug and alcohol addiction is. That's mm -hmm. not my area. But what I do know is that with food in particular, the abstinence model is probably the cause of the problem rather than the appropriate treatment model. And that may or may not be the case with drugs and alcohol. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. It explains... For people listening right now that are coming from, again, a lot of listeners are coming from the paleo and the keto community and realizing right. that they have a distorted relationship to food dysfunctional, that's why the carb cravings are there. The other right. factor that I see big is labeling food. So labeling rice, for an example, as a bad food or labeling maple syrup in the case of the people coming from keto as a bad food. Right, and then right. going because it's a quote unquote bad food, completely pulling it out of our life. Meanwhile, we've evolved as a species with that food. Right, 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 right. Yep. So restriction, that's a debate of mine that I've not resolved versus health versus the whole body image issue is a slippery slope. Can we really restrict and not cause ourselves binging and I don't know. Perfect. I don't know what the answer. This is a great question to wrap up with because this was, remember how I said, you know, the first step is separating health and weight, but I have a caveat. Yeah. Okay. Here's the caveat. You have to be meeting your basic nutritional needs. Uh -huh. A carb free life is not realistic because human beings actually need carbs to function. Mm-hmm. Right. So number one, step one, I think the biggest thing for people who are pursuing, you know, like dietary changes for health, number one, you got to separate health and weight. You got to pursue health in a weight yeah. neutral way. If you're confusing those motivations, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to end up in the, on that yo-yo train. But number two, 
even if you are pursuing weight and even if you are pursuing health in a weight neutral way, if you're not getting your basic physical needs met, you're also going to binge, right? There's two components to this binge. You know, I consider my definition of binge eating is eating in reaction to deprivation, right? Different than emotional eating, eating in reaction to deprivation. There's two types of deprivation. There's emotional deprivation, right? This feeling of like, I failed, I fall off the wagon, I suck, I hate myself because I ate this thing, right? That's emotional deprivation. But physical deprivation, the thing that intuitive eating actually solves really well, is also a huge big deal, right? It doesn't matter. If you're pursuing um, you know, a treatment for a health problem in a weight neutral way, but that treatment that you're pursuing like denies your basic biological instincts or tries to ignore the fact that you're a human animal that needs various macronutrients in their diet, that's doomed to fail from day one. It's gonna last so long and then you're gonna go backwards. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, you know, it's both. You've got to attack the, you know, the shame, the body image issues. You've got to separate health and weight in your mind. That's absolutely super important. I think we covered that really well yes. today. But, you know, also, I think we're going back to basics when we say, even if you are approaching, you know, a health protocol from a weight neutral perspective, if that health protocol doesn't take into consideration your basic human needs, your basic animal needs for vital macronutrients, you're screwed you're going to create issue. I want to close with this because that's another quote that I found very beautiful from you. It's a lot easier to stop obsessing about food when we feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the liberating element of all of this. If we want to stop obsessing about food, we need to love ourselves. Yeah. I mean, if we're running around thinking, you know, my self-esteem depends on the way my body looks and therefore my self-esteem depends on the way I eat, we're going to be obsessed with how we eat, right? That's a lot of power to give food. That's a lot of power to give food. If I give food the power to determine my self-worth, right? If my self-worth depends on how I look and therefore how I eat, right? I'm going to be obsessed with food, right? I'm going to be in full on. That's when you really get into like disordered eating land. Mm-hmm. So creating a relationship with ourselves first is essential. You know, I think, I don't know if first, but certainly as part of the equation, right? I, I tend to think these things aren't linear, right? Like okay, we yes. work on body image while we're working on intuitive eating, while we're working on all these things. But certainly if, in my opinion, if you're not doing the body, if you're like a chronic dieter, if you've been dieting your whole life and you're trying to get off the yo-yo wagon, in my opinion, body image is a critical component of the equation. Critical. Critical, critical, critical. Do you have, and I, and I want to wrap up the conversation because it's been quite lengthy, but I loved it and I think we can talk for hours. What is the next step for people who say want to stop working, start working with body image with you? Do you have any resources for them? Well, so first off, Health at Every Size, which I've already mentioned in yep. this interview, is a great resource just as far as understanding the science of set point weight, body diversity, you know, why we need to start thinking differently about how we eat for health, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and eat for health in a weight neutral way, blah, blah, blah. Great book, classic book. You know, I have all of my clients read at least the first hundred pages, okay. you know, where there's a ton of great research and awesome stuff in that book, but also some great body image resources. You know, there's a whole movement of people on the internet who are trying to demonstrate that they are beautiful, that beautiful people exist in all shapes and sizes, right? One of the problems with media and media is a huge problem, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we only see, you know, 
thin white models, by and large, for the most part. We only see this very specific type of body type in the media. Also young, we only see young, thin white models, right? And it's like thin white models under the age of 30. And there's this whole movement of people on the internet who are like, you know what? You know, I'm not a size four. Maybe I'm a size, you know, you can see plus size models. A plus size model, interestingly enough, is basically anyone from like size six and up. Like, it's really I know, funny. crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, if you're bigger than a size six, you're a plus size model. But what's really interesting is, like, you know, one of the most powerful things that I did on my personal body image movement was starting to follow plus size models on Instagram, for instance, um, and really starting to expose myself to images of people who were living in diverse body shapes and sizes. There's a ton of evidence to suggest, right, that if you are exposing yourself to body diversity visually on a regular basis, it will actually start to change your brain. It actually starts to change the way you look at bodies, including your own body and sort of create like, Oh, you know, she actually looks really great. And like, she's not the, you know, stereotypical, like, you know, again, young, thin white model necessarily. So I think that, you know, I won't recommend a particular book, although there are some great ones. I know Uh, My favorite body image books are by and large by fat activists. So people who don't necessarily fall into the BMI 22 to 29 category, they're typically written by women who are larger bodied and are talking about their experiences making peace with themselves in larger bodies. Those are some of my favorites. Virgie Tovar is a very, very famous, you know, I just think brilliant fat activist. I hope you have her on your show. She's a genius. I'll ask you to introduce her to me. I will. I will. I'll email introduce you. Please. And then there's, you know, several other, you know, kind of fat activists who have written books, like Jess Baker is another one who comes to mind who's written like, you know, a popular book about kind of making peace with herself in a non-traditional body, right? In a body that doesn't look like the young, thin, white model that we see all the time. But I found personally that the most valuable and sort of one of the most valuable, most important things that I did for my own body image healing journey was just making a point to follow people on Instagram who are my size or bigger Mm -hmm. and constantly looking at pictures of people in the media who are living awesome lives, who are wearing awesome clothes, who are my size or bigger, because it's sort of like you know, I see somebody who is living like this, like awesome life and just really relishing themselves, my size or bigger. And, you know, at first it can even be like disorienting or uncomfortable, right? Because we're so brainwashed. We're so brainwashed into thinking, oh, if that actor is, you know, doesn't look like a model, they're fat, you know, they're too fat or whatever, right? right? Like, you know, we're so brainwashed into thinking, you know, there's like one body type that's okay to look at in the media. And it can be really disorienting to see people in the media who are body diverse, who are all sorts of shapes and sizes. But as you continue to look at these images of people who are your size or bigger, sometimes it's much easier to make peace with, you know, the bodies. It's sometimes it's easier to start with looking at pictures of people who aren't you, and kind of build from there, right? And kind of build from there and kind of develop, oh, okay, actually, like, she looks pretty good. Like, oh, actually, like, you know, she's wearing a bathing suit in public. Maybe I can wear a bathing suit in public too. Well, and it's the whole thing. You want to grow. I, I teach that, right? You want to grow. You want to change something in your life. You got to start exposing yourself to how you want to become. Right. So if you want to become accepting of your body, you got to surround yourself with that frame of thinking and the social media feed are terrible for that because we adhere to we watch people who emphasize what we don't want to be 
Right, 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 right. So I think I, you know, if you type into Instagram, you know, in the little search bar, yeah. hashtag body positive, you're going to see people who are all shapes and sizes. Some of them might even make you feel uncomfortable, you know, because it's like, oh gosh, yeah, exactly. But like, that's really important work to be doing is to be exposing ourselves to body diversity and kind of getting ourselves out of the habit of thinking there's one type of body that I should have. And, you know, if we only see young, thin, white models in the media, we're going to hate ourselves if we don't look like that, which most of us don't. No, we don't. Right. Yeah. We're going to, this is sort of a practice and, you know, one of the, I think most powerful kind of tools, you know, this isn't a book, but one of the most powerful tools in developing acceptance isn't necessarily just reading or acquiring intellectual information, but also like visually, this is a visual thing, right? So visually exposing yourself to images of people who look, who have bodies that are more similar to yours can be incredibly healing. I, I think that that's one of the most powerful things that you can do. Because one of the biggest barrier to accepting ourselves the way we are is how I used to think and many women think, well, I can't accept my body because I'm fat. Nobody will love me. But if we counteract that, what you just explained, that will help us move away from that, that we can be accepted the way we are today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, weight stigma is like a huge, yes. you know, problem in our society. But, you know, living with stigma doesn't mean that you you're doomed to unhappiness. Right. I mean, dieting for the rest of your yeah. life, you're probably doomed to unhappiness. Right. I and mean, that's a much faster recipe to long term unhappiness is to just keep dieting unsuccessfully for the rest of your life. That would be much worse as far as you know, how painful that would be. You know, I always think of like, oh my gosh, I talk to my clients. I'm like, please, you know, you got to do something about, do you really want to be on your deathbed dieting and worrying about, you know, the number on the scale? I mean, that is miserable as opposed to kind of going more in the direction of like accepting your natural body size, you know, wherever that might be. You know, once you make that decision that you want to work towards body acceptance, it's like, well, now I have permission to go live my life fully, right? I'm not going to wait to lose 20 pounds to go on a date, for instance. You know, I was working with a client who was recently divorced and she's like, well, I can't go on a date. You know, I have to lose this weight. I'm rhyming. Um, but it's like, you know, she could be waiting for years, just hating herself, miserable. And how many women spend so mm -hmm. much time waiting for years, trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight before they go live their life? Right. And it's like, I want you to live your life now. I don't want you to wait one more day. Life is too short. You know, you, we can get all get hit by cars tomorrow. You know, like now is the time to live our lives, you know, fully and boldly. Right. And I think that the path to misery is continuing to diet forever. You know, how many people have probably been, most of your clients probably been dieting for decades. Right. Yes. And, you know, you could just keep doing that until the day you die, or you could pursue a different path right? And actually start living your life today. Stop waiting on, you know, some weight loss goal and start, you know, be like, I'm going to dive into the pool right now. I'm going to put on my bathing suit. I'm going to go to the beach. Screw it. You know, that's a way better version of screw it is like, screw it. I'm going to get in my bathing suit and I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to live my life. I'm so tired of waiting to lose weight, to go live my life. Right. I think that that was what really gets me excited about the body positive movement is there's so many body positive activists and so many amazing role models who are like, you know, I don't, you know, I dieted for decades and I was just miserable the whole time. And I realized that I could die trying to diet to try and make myself thinner so that I could go live my life. And really, realistically, 
there is nothing holding me back from just living my life right now. Women of all shapes and sizes have awesome, healthy relationships, healthy sex lives, awesome friends, awesome family lives, right? You do not need to be a certain size to pursue happiness. But for many people, and I want to ask one more question. I know we said we're going to wrap it, but I have one more question. Okay. Because that's a question that I get very frequently. Okay. If I accept myself, I'm just going to become mm -hmm. bigger. I'm just going to eat more because my whole life of not accepting myself put me on this diet and control my weight. If I accept myself now, I'm just going to get bigger and bigger and eat some more. Well, first of all, I mean, again, most, most of my clients and most dieters are not just dieting, they're diet binge cycling. Yes. Right. So most people, like if you think you're controlling your weight so successfully, you're probably not. <laughs> right, right? Like, yes you're probably not right like what we're talking about is like you won't be dieting anymore but you also probably won't be binging anymore huh good point right like we're talking about becoming do you know what i'm saying we're talking about becoming normal leaders yes right? most people again i don't like you know i feel like people think like oh well if i like work towards body acceptance and stop dieting i would just eat and eat and eat, yes. eat, and eat, and eat forever right but the truth of the matter is the reason you feel like you want to eat and eat and eat and eat, and eat, and eat forever is because you're, you're dieting. dieting. Because you're dieting, right? Restriction creates binging. Restriction creates obsession with food. Restriction makes food seductive and tantalizing and powerful, right? So like, yeah, you won't be dieting anymore, but you also won't be binging. You'll just be quote unquote normal eating. You'll just be a normal eater. You know, a person who can have a cupcake and move on with their life. You know, so accepting our body mm -hmm. in some way can actually get you to be more, I don't want to say lose weight or be a normal weight, but get you. I think body acceptance is critical to having a healthy relationship with food and with your health and your weight and everything. Yeah. 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 I think healthy eating in quotes depends upon body acceptance. Yes. I think that people who have negative body image typically have are infinitely more likely to have dysfunctional relationships with food. And most of them are not successful restrictors. Most of them are binge eating. Most of them are yo-yoing. Most of them are diet and cycling. It's a very small percentage of people, very small, who are long-term maintaining these restrictive, restrictive methods of trying to control their size. Most people don't do it. I mean, this is what the research and health at every size is saying is like, when you really look at the research, most people are not sustaining diets. Most people are doing the yo-yo thing. Most people are going up and down. Most people are diet and cycling, right? And diet and cycling is a product of poor body image, right? So when you heal your body image, what will go is not just the diet, but also the binging, right? It just, you're getting out of the diet binge cycle and you're actually eating like a quote unquote normal, normal eater. Yeah. Like the way, you know, I always think of like, you know, some people have husbands who are normal eaters or some people have like, you know, teenage sons who are normal eaters. You know, if you can think of somebody in your life who just doesn't really think about food. Like my relationship with food today, I don't really think about it that much. Like you know, I eat foods that make my body feel good. You know, that's what I typically choose. But I don't really think about food other than when I'm like about to make lunch or about to make dinner. 
it's not really a thing. It doesn't take me more, you know, I probably think about other than the actually when I'm sitting down to eat a meal, I don't think about food more than like maybe, you know, when I'm grocery shopping or something, Yeah. right? Like it's not a big deal, right? It's not like this obsessive thing. Most of my clients, they're like Googling paleo recipes all day long, you yes. know, and, and fantasizing about what they're going to have for lunch and looking at their watch thinking, when can I next eat, right? They're obsessed, right? And this is all a product of this craziness around food, this obsession with food is all a product of dieting. It's all a product of restriction, which is what? A product of poor body image. And I want to close it up with the principle. I don't know if you studied Zen or Buddhism, but do. you do. Right? Number one yes. rule of that is acceptance. Yes. Accept what yes. is. Yes. I think that that's sort of like the answer to all of life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that's everything happens for a reason and accept what is stop fighting what is not. Right. That's the name of my program. Stop fighting food. Oh, Guess what? <laughs> oh, yeah. My program stop fighting food.com guys. Okay. Shameless, shameless plug. That's what stop I wanted you to do. <laughs> plug yourself yeah, yeah. now. Stop fighting food.com. This is my free video training series is at stopfightingfood.com. It's like a free three video tutorial mm -hmm. about like sort of my method and like my perspective on how I recovered personally from this yo-yo dieting, diet binge cycling, binge eating disorder. I mean, I was an extreme example, but I fully, fully actually really like expelled myself from that whole yo-yo cycle. And now I eat like a normal person. Like I'm not sitting on my hands trying not to eat sugar. Like it's just normal. I can have a cupcake. It's no big deal. Like I bought chocolate like last week and it's still sitting in my cupboard. Like I don't even care. Mm -hmm. And it comes from a place of acceptance and yes. from a place of love. Acceptance is a requirement as is love. And I would say my definition of love is, you know, I don't self-loathe. I don't hate mm -hmm. myself. I'm comfortable with myself the way I am. I want to, I care for myself the way I would care for like a little baby child. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to force my body. I'm not trying to whip my body, whip myself into, you know, trying to eat a certain way. Right. It's just like, I just want to take care of myself and do what feels good to me and take care of this precious body that I have and also have pleasure and happiness and joy. And, you know, that's important with food too. I have all of those things, right? Like I can, again, I can have a piece of chocolate and enjoy it and get pleasure from it and move on with my life. It doesn't turn into a giant binge. It doesn't, none of that right? It's like, it doesn't have power over me the way it used to. And the reason it doesn't have power over me is because I don't give it power by letting it define my self-esteem. And because you decided at some point, I'm sure to love yourself for what you were at that moment, except what is right. from a place of love instead of a place of hate. Right. Same thing, right? Like I don't let what I ate dictate how I feel about myself. Mm -hmm. My self-love does not come from my body size. Yeah. My self-love does not come from because I ate correctly that day. If that's where your self-love comes from, you're going to fail. You're going to binge. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Your breath of fresh air and the quality of the language you use around this, but also the passion that you have around it and not being afraid of what you believe into. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So was it what I promised? I want to hear some clapping right now, girls. If you did learn something or enjoy the show, I would ask you to do a few things to share this 
crucial message with other women in your life. You can share this episode right there from your listening software, Apple or Android device, or even your laptop. You can go to stephaniedoze.com slash 109 and share the show note. You can tag me and tag Isabel Dude on Instagram, or on Facebook, and let us know how this interview impacted your life. And I will also ask you to leave me a review right there, if you could, on your phone, on iTunes, and that's like fuel for me. So be sure to come back next week where we're going to talk about reinventing ourselves, but not from a place that something is wrong with us, but in the opposite about how we can better ourselves from where we are today by changing our storyline, by changing how our internal dialogue is working or maybe not working for you. And I'm also going to touch about the new concept of goal setting that I'm currently teaching in the academy that I think can really benefit you, especially if you are listening in a timely fashion and it's the beginning of the year. So can't wait to see you on the next show. I love you and thank you for being with me.